we will join together in the saying of the Lord's Prayer. So let's remain standing for that. But first, the word of the Lord from the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let us now pray. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, in whom alone dwelleth all fullness of light and wisdom, illuminate our minds, we beseech Thee, by Thine Holy Spirit, in the true understanding of Thy Word. We ask this for the sake of our Master and Savior, who hath taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pentecost. Pentecost. The word just means 50. But oh, what a significant 50. The numeral 50 all through the Bible has various important meanings. The primary one has to do with the meaning of maturity. It was at age 50 that a man was considered wise and sagacious and qualified to be an elder in Israel. It was at the age of 50 that the work of a priest was considered complete. It had started at age 30 and now at age 50 the vigorous work of being a priest called for mandatory retirement from the priesthood. Now, of course, the priest did a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> There's a lot of wood, a lot of animals, a lot of slaughtering, a lot of cleaning up, a lot of burning, and a lot of heavy things to do. And so by age 50, most of those priests were worn out. They would move to other tasks, the task of teaching and being judges in Israel. But 50 said that something has been completed and wrapped up. We're moving into a new phase now. We're going from a phase of hard work to a phase of wise and fulfilled living. It was at age 50 when men were considered in the ancient world to have completed a certain task, a certain phase of a task. And so it is at Pentecost. Pentecost is a harvest festival. And let me just sketch it for you. I know most of you know this, but let me just set it forth. It were, in Israel, there were several great festival and feast days. The most important festival 
in the day of Israel was a solemn festival. Sounds almost like a contradiction in terms, but it meant a time of feasting and a time of celebrating, but a time of sobriety and remembrance. And this festival was the most important one in all of Israel. It was Passover. It was at Passover that they commemorated the slain lamb and the blood that had been poured out upon the people for the sins to cover, to make the, the atonement, the kafar, the covering that went upon the doorpost. It was Passover that was most significant. It was Passover that redeemed the people. It was Passover that showed that one day God would send a lamb slain from the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. And it was on Passover that the death of Christ occurred. The year that is under consideration here in our narrative, Passover, that year was on a Friday. Then Jesus was buried that evening before dark, and all day long the next day was Saturday, the Sabbath. And Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath. He had cried, it is finished. And He went to His rest in the grave. But it was upon the first day of the week, Sunday, the third day, the very next day that we find that Jesus rose from the dead. He had come alive in the tomb and had been raised by the Spirit of God to a glorified body. And this just happened to be on this particular year, the Feast of Firstfruits. The Feast of Firstfruits occurred on the first day of the week after the first Sabbath after Passover. Passover on Friday, Sabbath on Saturday, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, first fruits. And the first fruits were the symbol of the harvest. And it began a seven week harvest season. Seven weeks, seven times seven, 49 days. And that festival began first with the first fruits. That is the very first ripening of the grain. And the raw grain was cut down and put in a sheaf and it was waved by the priest before the Lord as a thanksgiving that the harvest had made. There had not been any hurricanes. There had not been any floods. There had not been any drought. There had not been any pestilence. It had made a good harvest and it was now going to make a complete harvest, a manifold harvest. And so the commencement of the harvest season began with the waving of the raw grain before the Lord. Seven weeks passes, gathering in the grain, bringing in the sheaves, its harvest. And the end of the harvest was the seventh Sabbath and then the first day of the week after the seventh Sabbath, which is seven times seven, 49, 50. On the 50th day was the day of Pentecost. And on that day, they did something unusual. It was once again a great time of festival. It was a great time of feasting. It was a great time of celebration. There was holy convocation before the Lord. But this time the priest presented 
two baked loaves, two cakes that had already been baked. And it was a fine flour. And it was leavened, which meant it, was, it, it had stuff in it that made it good to eat. In other words, they were going to enjoy the bounty of the harvest in the fullest extent. It wasn't raw grain anymore. It had been seasoned. It had been cooked. It was completed. The grain had been harvested. It had been uh, processed and ground into fine flour. And this, these meal cakes, these, these baked loaves were presented before the Lord. It is no accident of the calendar that these are the events that took place historically in this time of the fullness of time. When the days and the weeks just fell in order, just right to where all of this stuff that had been going on for hundreds of years in ancient Israel, these festivals could come to fruition, literally to fruition. In the Passover, the lamb is slain, the blood is shed, and the cry is, it is finished. In the burial of Jesus Christ, He goes into the heart of the earth to rest on the Sabbath, showing the ultimate rest. He is brought forth on the first fruits, the day of first fruits in power, showing that He is the first fruits of all those that sleep in Jesus. That because He lives, we shall live also. And now... Jesus had told him to do what? Tarry. Remember that? Jesus said, wait. Tarry. Don't go anywhere. Stay. That's what you do during the harvest. It is finished. It's been planted. It's been plowed. It's been cultivated. It's been fertilized. The rain has come. The sun has shone upon it. The Lord has blessed it. The pestilence has not come near. The disease has not come near. The devourer has not been able to thwart the plan of God and now comes forth the harvest. And you wait for the harvest. I remember as a kid, we used to lay the crops by. We'd work, we'd toil all summer, but then at the end of the summer, we would just stop. And we'd wait. We'd wait for the crops to mature. We'd wait for the cotton to blossom and then to bowl in the field. Wait. Something is going to happen. Wait for the harvest. Wait for the end. Wait for the great influx of bringing in. And this is what Pentecost is. Pentecost is the coming of the Spirit of God to harvest all of those that have been purchased by the blood of Christ. All of those that have died with Him, that have been buried with Him, and those who were raised to eternal life in Him. There's going to be a great influx, a great ingathering, and it's going to last for generations. It's going to go for centuries. And it's going to go around the world. It's going to go to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every kindred, every municipality, and every kingdom. The gospel is going to be preached and the power of preaching that gospel will be none other than the third person of the triune God. God has come in the flesh in Christ. Now God comes by His Spirit to 
indwell and to empower and enliven His people and give them the benefit of the promise that had been made. Now we'll go into a little more detail as we get down into this chapter because Peter in his sermon will explain what Pentecost is all about and we'll leave that for a Sunday or two down the road. But today let's look at the, the, the phenomenon of the coming of, of, the, of the Spirit of God. And briefly let me say just a couple of things. It says when the day of Pentecost arrived, oh that's okay but I don't like that. Because I like what the old authorized version says better. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. Because that's what the word is. It's the word for full. It's the word plethora. When it was fully come and arrived. Letting us know that in the fullness of time, right at the tick of the clock of God's eternal timetable, the day of Pentecost came. It came when it was right, when it was ready. When the harvest was ripe, when it was the perfect time. It was fully come. This was the, the day of Pentecost. It says they were all together in one place. We talked last week about the group that was gathered there. It was the 12 or the 11, and then they selected 12, and it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women of Galilee. It was the brothers of Jesus. Jesus had four brothers. Did you know that? And at least two sisters, according to the narratives of Luke. They were there together with perhaps the 70 that Jesus had sent forward. The number is given at a round number of 120. It says they were all together, literally in one accord. It's the word homo. It means the same. They were the same. They were of one accord. It wasn't just that they were together physically. It was they were together spiritually. They were singing one note, one particular tone and it was the tone that they had all gathered together as they had witnessed the events of Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His post-resurrection appearances, His ascension. All of these things had brought them together where they had a unity and, a, and I will dare say a uniformity of thinking. There was an orthodoxy that was a consensus. They had seen these things, they had heard these things, and they knew what it was all about. And it says there, they were together in one place. The word place is not used in the text, the original text. It's just they were together in one. One accord, one harmony, and in one place. I wish the word place had been in the original text. I've got a real good sermon that would, that would fit there. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're disappointed. You have to go to someplace else in Scripture. But there is a place. Remember way back in there when they were wandering around in, in the wilderness, the Lord said to them, I'll show you the place where you'll do all of these sacrifices, where you'll have all these ceremonies. And it was years before they finally, under King David, had the temple mound in the city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the place. But God brings us all to the place. And this they were together. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. One simple verse gives us the incredible detail of what was involved in the coming of the third person of the triune God into human experience, into the life of the church 
into the body of Christ. Listen to some of the detail. Suddenly, isn't it interesting that all this time God had prepared, how many Pentecost had there been in Israel? Just count the years, at least 1,500. One per year for 1,500 years from the days of Moses till the days of Christ. How much preparation, how much foundation had been laid, how much work, how much clearing, how much leveling of the high places and bringing up of the low places had there been before this event? How many prophets had cried out and talked about there's coming a day when the Spirit will come? We'll talk a little bit more about that when Peter preaches and tells us about it. How much longing had there been that God would come? It goes all the way back to Moses. Moses cried out, oh, that the Spirit of God would dwell on all the people. Not just the 70 elders, but all the people. There had been a long longing for the coming of God's Spirit to come and in a special way meet with and indwell and inhabit His people. There had been all kinds of types and symbols, suggestions. There had been shadows. There had been prophecies. A lot of promise. But no fulfillment. And now the Bible says, suddenly. <laughs> It happened immediately and quickly and unexpectedly. But it wasn't unheard of. But suddenly there came from heaven. Let's not miss that. That's where every blessing comes from. From the Father of lights with whom there's no variation nor shadow of turning every good and every perfect gift comes from God. And the supreme gift of His Son has now been followed by the supreme gift of His Spirit. The incarnation is now going to be made manifested and real in the life of God's people by the infusion of His Spirit into His people from heaven. And listen to the language. It says, There came from heaven a sound and an appearance. It was audible and it was visual. The sound was like a mighty Rushing wind. The word sound here is the word echo. It was a reverberation from heaven itself. Somehow, heaven had burst forth and an echo from on high had entered the human race and the experience of God's people. Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit of God now. I don't know if you've studied world religions much, but they all have the better ones that, that sort of get above the primal 
level of animism and totemism and some superstitions, but the more contemplative and thoughtful religions of the world have always expressed a longing to be one with God. Somehow that the celestial would meet the terrestrial, that heaven and earth would somehow be joined together, somehow have communication, somehow there be a dissolving of the twain into a oneness. Did I sound like a Buddhist when I said that? <laughs> a little bit. That's, that's really the, that's a longing of the human heart that God has put there. And heaven did come to earth in the Son, Jesus, the God-man, the one mediator between God and man, between heaven and earth. And now God comes yet again, manifestly. And it's an echo. It's a sound. You can hear it. It was something that they could get themselves completely into. It wasn't just a an imagination. Whereas at time past, God had spoken by the still, small voice. And it also spoken in the whirlwind. Now He speaks with the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. Powerful wind. Comes in and gushes in upon them as a mighty flood, a mighty tide of God's power and God's Spirit. And it filled the entire house. We'll talk a little bit more about the house where they were in a sermon or two. But that's what the Spirit of God does. He fills. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. The earth was without form and void. It was empty. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the waters. And then God began to create. The Spirit of God filled completely. That's why I like the use of the term fill in the what's translated arrive because not only does the Spirit of God fill the room, the place, the house, but He fills each person. That's why the Apostle Paul can say, don't you know that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God filled the temple in the Old Testament. We have manifestations of that with Shekinah glory dwelling in the holy place, in the most holy place. We have pictures of the Spirit of God being smoke and wind and fire. The word spirit in the Hebrew really literally translates three different words. It's breath, it's wind, and it's spirit. It is the life-giving spirit that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. It, it is the spirit of God that gives physical life. It's the spirit of God that gives spiritual life. Remember, Jesus said you must be born from above. There must come somehow, some sense, a sound of a mighty rushing wind to fill. And the Scripture says it filled not just the house, but it filled 
each one. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is the, the temple. The temple of God as is in God's people, God's dwelling place. But the temple of God as you and me individually. There is a filling that must take place. Can you say that you have been filled with the Spirit? Has the enlivening, quickening, animating, resurrecting power of God's Spirit filled your soul? Are you a recipient of that divine spirit that Ezekiel set forth when he breathed out on the dead bones and said, let these bones live. It was the breath, the wind, the spirit that brought life to Adam, to the dead bones, the dry bones, and to each of us. You must be born again. You must. You must be born again. And in that same discourse, Jesus said, the Spirit blows where it desires. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's going. But you know when it's arrived. Has the Spirit of God come into your life? Let me mention one thing here. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The word literally means bifurcated or divided in half. There was a tongue, a, a, a cloven, a, a divided tongue of fire. There was a flame, a living flame that was visible. In fact, the word that's used here is said it appeared to them. It's the word, we get our word ophthalmology or ophthalmologist from. It means eyeball. It was something they could see. One more time, they were witnesses. There was phenomenon that they could see. There was something they could bear witness to. And it was these cloven tongues of fire, just like wind had represented and had been the manifestation so often of the Spirit of God in the old covenant days. Fire was also a symbol of that same Spirit. There was fire everywhere in the Old Testament. The pillar of fire that guided the people in the wilderness. Fire on the altar. Fire in the burning bush. A manifestation, an appearance, something you can put your eyeballs on and you can see a little bit of the glory of God, the, the purity and the holiness of God. The wrath and the judgment of God are all symbolized by fire. And this is exactly what poor old John the Baptist had been trying to get across to the people down on the Jordan River Valley that for, for about a year and a half. He'd been saying, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Has there been fire in your soul? Or do you have the empty decayed, putrefying content of your heart 
that brings you to despair, despondency, anger, and bitterness? Or has all of that been purged out by the fire of the manifestation of God's holy presence in your life? That's what happened to these Christians in a vivid way. It says it appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is. That's what Pentecost is. It's the coming of the Spirit of the triune God in manifest, evidentiary, empirical power in the church, but this morning think of it in terms of in your life and in my life. 